For November 16th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 333. All about that tonsure. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From New York, New York City. Uh, New York City? (laughs) Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. I hear it's been waiting for me. I also hear that it's a concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Uh, There's nothing you can't do, which makes me think that there's nothing you can't do is actually like a type of substance, and uh, dreams are made of this substance. It's also... Uh, dangerously close to the moon so be careful because the moon's gravitation there isn't much between the moon and new york city so the moon's gravitational pull (laughs) could potentially if you jump too high it can lift you off and deposit you on its airless cratered expanses and you would be left with nothing else to do but to fall in love pete (laughs) (laughs) i uh i've been traveling i've been traveling the last two podcasts and so i'm sitting here in new york uh right alongside fellow overthinker and my good friend mark lee hello mark Hey, Matthew. It's good to have you here in my meat space. <laughs> Whoa. It's, okay. the, it's the best space. <laughs> you're, a, you're a married man, Mark. I don't want to really do anything untoward on my, this. My, my meat space. I share my meat space with a lot of people. My meat here. space is a space of... No, sorry. I just have Taylor Swift on the brain now. Uh, and, uh, and Pete Fenzel from Boston. Hey, Pete. Wish you were here. I've got my own meat space. Don't worry about me. I'm good. <laughs> uh, yes, it's all grass-fed and local, by the way. All grass-fed, local, <laughs> delivered by a, a farm share. Really excited about it. So we haven't uh, we haven't um, we haven't done a music show in a while, and I think we're going to talk about talk about music a little bit. And uh, fortunately, I'm sitting right here alongside my good friend Mark Lee, who is an expert guitar player, and actually brought his axe out to share some uh, tunes with us. <laughs> I'm sorry, where did that come from? Oh. <laughs> it would be very funny, yeah. I mean, we're going to do a lot of set. We're going to play a lot of country music, a lot of real country music right. here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Taylor Swift doesn't play it anymore, but we're going to. Uh, I hear you all came out to the Continental Club for some real country music. Uh, you have to watch. You have to listen to the TFT podcast to get that joke. Um, so uh, talking about talking about music. Hey, um, Megan Trainer's uh, booty has been uh, dethroned. Has been kicked <laughs> off of the throne where her booty has been perched up to this point. Uh, all about that bass is uh, is no longer the number one song in America. I guess for a couple weeks it hasn't been the number one song in the United States on the. <laughs> No trouble, I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble, I'm all about that bass. Ba-dum, bum, bum, lollipop, lollipop. No, uh, it's just the throwback nature of Megan Trainor's uh, uh, musical stylings and her sexual politics that really make me think of, of oldies radio, which my mother was a big devotee of, and so I got subjected to a lot of it in the car. I shouldn't say subjected like it was a bad thing. It was a lot of fun to sit there and listen to uh, lollipop. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini lollipop. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot <laughs> bikini, lollipop, and so on. Uh, in pretty tight rotation over and over and over and over again. Um, so uh, Shake It Off has dethroned all about that bass as, a, uh, as the number one song in America. So um, we are no longer all about that bass, and that leads us to this question of the week. Panel, this week, answer this question. What else are we no longer all about? 
Pete Fenzel, you're the first in the alphabet, so I'm going to drink this. Uh, I'm going to drink, and this week, uh, not box wine, not fancy French wine like uh, Zach Johnson and I shared last week. It's uh, it's artisanal small batch bourbon from the Kings County Distillery. Is that right? Yes, it c- comes in a comically hooch-looking uh, moonshine-like kind of bottle. It's ridiculous. Oh, it, yeah. is, it is ridiculous hipster BS is what it is. But it's, we're drinking it, and it's getting us drunk. Yep, it's, it's, it's doing its job, absolutely. Uh, yes, exactly, right? Like, uh, <laughs> it's like the Onion, uh, it's like the famous Onion article, uh, ironic porn purchase leads to unironic <laughs> orgasm, right? Ironic booze purchase leads to unironic drunkenness. And that's where we are. Pete Fenzel, while we're getting drunk, what are you no longer all about? Uh, you know, I had an, an interesting cultural experience, and I've written about this cultural experience that is sort of related to cultural experiences and overthinking it before, but they're seasonal. Uh, and, I, and I'm, of course, talking about what I, you can go online. Uh, go online. Yeah, of course, you're online right now, probably. Go online to our site and read an article that I wrote a while ago uh, that was about, it was about like music videos that I watched while I was on the treadmill at the gym. Right, and I did a breakdown of each music video I saw during this one running workout. It was like a half an hour on the treadmill, and it's a bunch of just absurd music videos for various kind of dance, Euro-oriented dance beats. Uh, and, and we actually got into touch with one of the guys at one point who uh, who sang one of those songs, although we never really arranged for him to get on the podcast like we wanted him to. But I used to be really excited when I would go on the treadmill run to watch the TV uh, and, and watch the music videos and watch the other fun stuff that was on the TV, and I haven't been on treadmill in a while because it's been warm, uh, and uh, and also because I've sort of changed up some of the ways that I exercise over the course of the last couple of years. And I went on the treadmill last weekend for the first time. I was traveling too. I was in Philadelphia, and I went on the treadmill. And I, I there was no music. There was nothing fun. It was all it was all college football. But college football, I feel like, requires a lot of attention. And uh, when you're running, it's not you know the commercials are tough. The stop and go is tough. Uh, I didn't none of the schools that were playing. I felt particularly connected to and like the transporter of the show right was on like a marathon um now watching tv on the treadmill i feel like is an important like sort of pop culture consumption i i never would have watched deal or no deal like not even once if i hadn't used to have been very into watching tv while on the treadmill and it makes certain kinds of experiences much more palatable than they would be when you are not moving your legs back and forth within a very confined uh, geographical space and you know what after this weekend and after today when i went on the treadmill again and i watched a big chunk of the very good uh, kansas city chiefs and uh, seattle seahawks football nfl football game i enjoyed it but i realized i'm not all about uh, TV on the treadmill anymore. I'm just not. The joy is gone. The novelty is gone. I mean, maybe I'm going places that don't have the same fun stations, or, or maybe there's something else along those lines that's that's really changed. Maybe it's changed. Maybe I've changed. Maybe running has changed. But for whatever reason, you know, maybe maybe everyone's on their phones now while they're running, and nobody needs the uh, the entertainments that are provided anymore. So that's that's my big pop culture revelation of the week, and it's one that leaves me a little bit sad. I gotta say, a little bit sad, honestly. I've never been a super successful treadmill runner, though I have enjoyed jogging outdoors. I mean, fortunately, I live in a climate, uh, Los Angeles, the bleeding edge of America, uh, where you can jog 365 days a year. But, um, I mean, do you find you, – you find – you must find jogging on a treadmill to be a very different experience than, than jogging out there in, the, in your grass-fed meat space. 
Oh, definitely. My grass-fed meat space is the wide-open plains, and I can romp around like an like an Impala, uh, you know, with an automatic transmission and some antlers. Uh, but yeah, like a gazelle. No, yeah, it's it's very different, and it's very difficult psychologically to run on a treadmill if you haven't for a long time. But there was a time when I really did enjoy running on treadmills. Uh, I mean, I live in New England, and it gets very cold and it gets very hostile outside. And my rule is, I don't run outside when it's less than fifteen degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I do have long chons <laughs> and other sorts of things to run in when it gets less. You gotta cold draw than- the line somewhere <laughs> but also when it's really slippery and snowy and icy i don't run outside because it's dangerous um and then for that there's treadmills and also for for getting up really early in the morning and just like having a number in front of you that tells you that you finished i think is like a useful thing just i gotta run that number up and then i'm done so i don't recommend a treadmill necessarily it's not my favorite thing in the world but it has its uses uh, maybe not if you live in beautiful bleeding los angeles with its edges and whatnot um, and certainly not if you're drinking whiskey. Don't drink whiskey and run people. That's not safe. Um, you driving know is- Pete was all about the treadmill. About the treadmill. <laughs> no, um, what's the jogging, jogging? No, no jogging on. It clearly, it's got to be no treadmill, guys. It's got to be no treadmill instead of no treble. Oh, you know Pete's <laughs> all about that jog, about that jog. No treadmill. He's all about that jog, about that jog. No treadmill. I keep we we keep wanting to slow down and take it in like a shuffle beat so that it's uh, so that it's like a country song, you know. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do that to sort of uh, lead into my thing here. What I'm not no longer all about. You know, I'm all about the bass, not the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, not the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, not the bass, no trouble. All the rat stuff and all the rat. I don't know what is this? all the junk in the right trunks or something like that. <laughs> anyway, yes, okay, yes, nailed it, nailed it, flawless. Thanks, that was thanks, flawless, thanks, Mark. Speed. What you gonna What you gonna do with with all that junk inside that um, um, Megan train? No, okay, <laughs> all right, okay. So I, I, I did that to lead into my answer because I used to be all about that playing guitar, playing the guitar, playing the guitar. No, doing other things that weren't playing the guitar, and I'm no longer all about that. Um, but all that is to say that um, at some point in my adult life, I realized that uh, from my teens, when I started learning to play the guitar through my early adulthood, that not a single day would go by without me playing the guitar. And at some point, I went like an entire week without it. And I'm like, what happened? Like, what, ha- what happened to my life? How did my priorities change? Why am I no longer all about that guitar, 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 no other things other than guitar? Um, and I think the short answer is that it was, well, you know, what priority shift, the novelty of it goes away. But uh, it, it was just when I realized that it was just a um, kind of a, 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 a profound reminder of how priorities change, about how assumptions that you hold so dear um, can uh, are not constant are not forever. And so here I am uh, with the guitar. I'm glad to be playing it here. I'm glad that Matt being here uh, and this podcast have given me an excuse to bring it out. But I'm no longer all about that guitar. Well, let's, Mark, back me up here. You know Mark's all about his dog, about his dog, no guitar. He's all about his dog, about his dog, no guitar, and so forth. Yeah, that's okay. Wait, Matt, are you blaming my dog for the fact that I no longer enjoy the music instrument that brought me so much pleasure in the past. I'm just saying if the artisanally made four dog booties fit, you should take your dog out for a walk <laughs> in the cold weather here in New York. I, I, I'll, I'll, 
I'll pose this question also. Like, is that, I mean, is there a correlation between when you got a dog and when you stopped playing guitar? Or did you stop playing guitar long before you had a dog? It was. It's not that I stopped playing the guitar altogether. It's okay. it, It's a variety of things, basically. Right. Listen to those. Listen to those dulcet tones of of Mark's guitar playing. That's really, you know, uh, that's really uh, artisanal. I don't know. Yeah. I need to. In, in all seriousness, like it is something that brought me a lot of pleasure. It's one of those things that I think you know I ought to do it more, not just for my own uh, personal enjoyment, but for overthinking it as well. We've done a lot of great, uh, you know, original and parody music and overthinking it. I think the most recent one might have been the. Um, the Bob Dylan Super Bowl Chrysler songs uh, that would have been, I guess, from February. Yeah, they of were this great. Year. Uh, and so we hope to bring more of that to you soon. It's fun to do original stuff on overthinking it. I mean, parody stuff is a lot of what we do, but I think we could do we could do stuff that we think stands on its own merits and not just as you know mocking people who are more successful than us. Um, yeah, those. Uh, oh man, those were great. I um. I play piano now as a kind of like clear my head meditation, which means I like I, I bang on the keyboard a lot when I'm feeling frustrated about about other things. But fortunately, it's an electric keyboard. It's an, like a digital piano and I can listen to it. Um, it both has a weighted action, which can withstand my heavy pounding and also a headphone jack so that the neighbors don't collectively vote me out of the building. Um, that's what I do, but you know what I, that's what I'm about, but you know what I'm not all about? I'm not all about the Benjamins, baby. You know, I have, I have, uh, I'm, I'm really like, uh, I was at a, uh, sort of time in my life where I was ramping up freelance work and stuff like that. And I felt like my whole life was, uh, you know, structured around paying, paying bills and, and, and stuff like that. And you know what? I'm going to cut some spending, you know? I I uh I listened to I was visiting my girlfriend's family in Connecticut that's why I'm on the east coast here and and um we, uh, her aunt read me my horoscope this morning and it's uh don't focus on the bottom line cut back on uh on certain financial items so that you have space to pursue your other goals so you know what? I'm going to I'm going to uh I, I actually don't know what I cut. I guess my artisanal coffee consumption. Right? No, Matt. No, 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 no. We just had a conversation about how that is the one luxury that you allow yourself to have. Yeah, it's Nothing true. Nothing will take that away from you. It's true. Um maybe yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll start bicycling to work more or something like that just so that I have a little more cash on hand to pursue my dreams, pursue my creative projects, pursue my uh my dreams of Freddie Mercury like rock stardom banging on the piano in the uh, uh, banging on a piano in the wee hours of, more, of the morning. Don't stop me now. Don't stop me. Mark, you got to back I know. Me up I here. left you hanging dry there because I don't know what key that's. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I just came in. I just came in on on some sort of note. Uh, I'm no longer all about the Benjamins. I think that once your uh, once your uh, once your material needs are taken care of, and and if you are doing okay, you know, turn your attention to your fellow man and perform acts of charity and service uh, to the to the other people around you. You know, create beautiful things and make the world a nicer place. Place. Um, don't don't maximize earning potential at the expense of everything else. You know, once you've taken care of your needs, uh, yeah, turn 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 that mind of yours to higher things. That that great that great uh, organ between your ears. You know, make it a, a make it a, a factory for beauty. Matt, are yeah? you saying that I'm all about that self actualization, self actualization? No 
Benjamins. I'm all about that self-actualization, <laughs> self-actualization. No Benjamins. Uh, I'm no longer. Uh, I, I'm also uh, in Weird Al parody spirit. I'm uh, no longer all about the Pentiums, baby. Um, not the Pentiums either, right? Because we all have i7 chips in our uh, in our computers now, and that uh, allows for a lot of stuff, like a lot of great extensions around virtualization and things like this. It's very useful, you know. Don't you think, Pete? So, Pete, yeah. <laughs> question for you. I think in this conversation, I'm just about as useless as JPEGs to Helen Keller, as Weird Al says in that song. <laughs> Which is edgy for Weird Al. Edgy and a little dark. But uh, I always thought that line came, was, was well-conceived in terms of it, where it falls in the song. Anyway, what's your like question? Weird Al is, the, is his most successful when he's his most edgy. You know, mm-hmm. I actually felt, I, I felt a dearth of edginess in, in his recent album. And I liked a lot of the videos as they were released. And I thought his, like, release strategy was brilliant. He owned that week. And, like, every day it was like, okay, have you seen the Weird Al video for today? You know, that was, a, that was an incredible... Um, that was an incredible album release. But uh, I will say that, like, you know, you couldn't get a lot more raw criticizing Lord or parodying Lord than, than doing a song about, like, conspiracy theories and, and aluminum foil, right? Like, I thought T-Pain, uh, T-Pain's uh, sort of diss track uh, parody song of, of Royals where it's, you know, now we're drinking Crown Royal uh, was pretty good, um, was pretty uh, pretty edgy, right? Like... And even if I don't think his his criticisms of Lord in particular are on point, I mean, I I at least see the integrity of his uh, of his opinion. You guys heard that one? Didn't no, I haven't. You? Can can you fill us in on just the the general thrust of T Pain's uh, parody of Lord? Well, it it proceeds from what I think is a flawed premise, which is that sort of Lord's uh, Lord's um, uh, is being specifically critical of hip hop culture. Uh, rather than critical of a larger mm. strain of materialism in the culture. And also, I mean, uh, you, you know, the culture d- sort of is represented by, like, you know, uh, is represented by uh, the sort of acqui- acquisitiveness and, and materialism of hip-hop songs, right? Like, that's the model of acquisitiveness and materialism, right? It's not like, it wouldn't make any sense if it was like, you know, and uh, 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 everybody's like, Sky Mall, Deb Ball, Summer in the Hamptons. You know, uh, this is not like this is not the sort of mainstream uh, vision of excess and, and materialism that a seventeen-year-old would really identify with, right? Like, I don't know. Is it, I, I really wait? What was that second thing you said? Sky Mall and what? Deb Ball, debutante ball. Oh, Deb Ball. Okay, I thought you said dead. D e a d. Yeah, ball, like playing baseball is... in the in like the nineteen teens, right? Like the Dead Ball era before the. I ball. was thinking of that uh, billiards base game that we played back in college. Oh, <laughs> dead ball. Was that, that was that so baller? Like, <laughs> were we like Crystal and Maybach while we were uh, slinging pool balls around and and, and bumping into each other, we're running sl- around the pool table? We're, we're slinging pool balls in our dreams. Um, the uh, you know I don't know, but but uh, it was about. I mean, it was a it was actually a celebration of not of materialism, but a sort of an unironic celebration of his success uh, as a. Uh, you know, celebrity and public figure, uh, given where he came from and and what his background was, and insofar it was that I thought I thought it was great. I just think, I mean, I don't know. I thought everyone was pooping on Lord uh, for a minute there, uh, and I, I mean, aside from the fact that that I don't see the virtue of bullying a seventeen-year-old girl, but I, I think that the criticisms were uh, not entirely on point. 
See, uh, that's we would have so many more clicks if you saw the virtue of bullying a seventeen-year-old girl, Matt. So, like, if we just got on board with every every mass bullying that comes out in pop culture and overthinking <laughs> it, I mean, I feel like we could double or triple our our clicks per clicks per minute that we get. We now get many. It's clicks. not about bullying; it's about ethics and journalism. <laughs> so, what is going on? What is going on with Robert Pattinson's haircut? I know, Jesus Christ! <laughs> God, I don't know. if you haven't, if you haven't seen there's there's a couple of times there's only me i could probably count them on one hand where we've been on the overthinking it podcast and we said if you haven't seen x stop (laughs) right now and go see x and then come back and it was usually something like awesome right like in the fury 7 trailer that's fury 7 trailer is the most recent example right good example definitely and by the way if you have not seen the Fast and Furious 7 trailer, stop this podcast right now. Go look at the Fast and the Furious 7 trailer. Then go look at Robert Pattinson's haircut. Then yes. come back and continue the in, podcast. In that order, to be clear, just in case like, you, know, you start doing one thing and you get interrupted in the task and you can't do the other thing. Make sure it's the thing you finish is watching the Fast and the Furious 7 trailer. Right, right, right. I, I mean, it's funny because this has been a week where everybody's been looking at the rear ends of celebrities and like, and this is really, this was the one that shocked me. I think this shows where the culture is right now. Is that like, I'm not particularly shocked by some remakes of some old like artistic marketing photographs. You know, I, I get it. You know, it's fine. The internet's broken. Sure, that's good. Uh, but this haircut, my God. <laughs> I mean, it's not even butt-like. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's okay. So at this point, you've come back. You probably stopped when we were rambling, and you looked at Robert Pattinson's haircut. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. Robert Pattinson, for those of you who are unfamiliar, was in this thing called Twilight, which was really popular for a while, but is rapidly being forgotten by everybody in the world. Uh, I'm sure as it as it there hasn't been a new Twilight thing in a while, right? Like. They're not even trying to do any sort of additional spinoffs or anything like that. It's, like, pretty much done, right? Like, True Blood's wrapping up. That whole thing is just packing up and shipping out. Um, but I think Robert Pattinson, with his haircut, is doing all he can to drive his, the memory of his celebrity to an early grave. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Matt, do you want to describe it since you're the one drinking whiskey? We should probably be nice. <laughs> we should be kind to the people that we would compare his do hair. You remember, do you remember in the 90s there was a haircut called The Step? Right, where, where you would be sort of closely shaved on the, the bottom of the back of your head and maybe a little around, around the sides uh, above your ears. And then you would have what it was essentially a bowl cut on top of that. I'm going to try and find pictures of this on, on the Internet. I actually had this haircut, uh, I think, in sixth grade. I, I, I did it. Right. This, so this reminds me of sort of the top half of the step in that uh, he has his, his full head of hair up top. But but it stops above his ears uh, and the back of his head, and I think the the you know the sides. I think it continues around the sides. Um, uh, the back of his head is shaved, save for a uh, is shaved uh, to the scalp, um, so that it looks like. I mean, he has. It's almost like a monk's haircut, though full in front, not a not a tonsure with a forelock and and um, thing like that. It's called a tonsure, isn't it, Pete? A tonsure? Yeah, that that that's the monk haircut. Uh, but it, it looks kind of like that—the monk haircut, where he uh, where he's you know shaved around the sides and the back while leaving while leaving the top full. But uh, except for the uh, the very base of his the very base of his skull, um, right right by the you know where the. Uh, 
the Atlas uh, meets the the occiput, right? Uh, in anatomical terms, um, where the bottom center of his uh, of his hair is. Um, is shaved into into what can only be described as a close approximation of a sans serif single quotation mark or apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, one that has not been. Uh, we would the term that we would use when I'd be professionally editing, uh, which is a technical term, of course, is smartify, which is when you, which is not a real term, obviously, but it's when you when you take a uh, a neutral apostrophe or a neutral single quote or neutral quotation mark that has not been curled to accommodate well mostly it's quotation marks they haven't been curled to accommodate what side of the quote they're on but they're just straight up and down right like and they take fewer ascii characters or something or not a few ascii characters there's certain systems that uh the code for it's a little longer it's a little more complicated if you copy and paste out a notepad sometimes they don't show up so one of the things i always used to have to do is control f you know and find replace all the quotation marks for quotation marks in a document so that it would make sure they were all curled correctly and it looks like someone has some control after the back of Robert Pattinson's head <laughs> which is not the most colorful way you could describe it but we're not going to stoop to uh, to the you guys can share your own opinions of what Robert Pattinson's hair looks like uh, in the comments uh, I mean do you guys have any theories as to why he would do this I mean I, I can share one in a bit but you guys go first <laughs> I mean the, the publicity right I mean like if you like I, I, have, a, I have a feeling that Celebrities and the agents have this like long list of things that celebrities have done that get them attention, and then they like look through it and they try to find things that have not gone onto that list. And so Robert Pattinson and his agent are just you know they're brainstorming, right? They're just uh, they're, they're they're shooting the breeze, they're spitballing, and they're like you know what if I do this? And you know, what what if I uh, you know uh, uh, expose my rear end to the internet to to break the internet? And they look through the list and they're like no, Kim Kardashian already did it. Sorry. What if I do this, that, and the other? Nope, already done, undone. Okay, what if I uh, leave a, uh, a sans serif, uncurled, uh, single quotation mark on the back of my head? They, they search, search, search. Hey, wait. I, Robert, I think this one hasn't been done yet. I, I, think, I think we're good. I think we got something. Let's do it. Let's roll. So, so you're saying novelty. That, that's, that's basically it. Yes. So you're saying that novelty. that Robert Pattinson's hair is dictated by the same process that names pharmaceuticals, where they literally look for a combination of follicles and orientation, just a combination of letters that hasn't been used for anything yet, using some sort of brute force search, and they find like, yeah. well, this one hasn't been yeah. done. You know, he's so. all about that novelty. All about that novelty. No repetition. All, all right. about that novelty. Novelty, novelty, no repetition. I'd Fair ask. enough. I'd just like to point out that I, I wrote a Thursday Grammar article back in 2011 uh, called Impostrophe about the various, uh, the various sort of diacritical symbols that look like quotation marks and apostrophes, but are not, in fact, quotation marks and apostrophes. They, they include uh, the opening quotation mark, which is what you get when you type, when you type like, you know, uh, class of O2 into word right you get an opening quotation mark and not a closing quotation mark as a copy editor pete have you faced this issue the opening quotation mark and the close quotation mark well, all the, the time the idea yeah, that the idea that when you type a single quote right uh in order to abbreviate something like go get em or class of o2 uh right like you uh what word gives you by default 
the opening quotation mark, right? Because oh. after a space, uh, the six quotation mark and not the nine quotation mark, right? Because gotcha. remember, the opening quotation marks are six or 66, and the closing mark- quotation marks are nine or uh, 99, uh, right, d- right, depending right. on whether you're British or American. And, uh, you know, so when, when, when they come after a space, uh, word assumes that you are opening a quotation, and so we'll uh, give you the opening quotation mark, which is not the case um, when, you're, when you're actually trying to use an apostrophe, which is a notionally distinct but typographically identical uh, uh, symbol to yeah. the... To I would, the I would, yeah. In that example, I would use an apostrophe, not a, a... Can you even type a single open quotation mark into Word? Sure, you hit the apostrophe key. <laughs> 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 and Fair it starts, yeah, do do uh, do a little experimentation afterwards uh, in, in, with your meat Afterwards, space. I'm doing it right now. Come, I'm open. I'm, I'm doing open office right now to see. I mean, if- here's uh, when we're talking about typography. Could it be a pipe? Is that the technical term for it? Could yeah, it be like the pipe pair character. It's too much. It's too wide to be a pipe. I mean, it's almost like you know. I don't know. If I were a plane flying alone in the sky and I was looking for some kind of surface to land on. So here's my theory. I think that Robert Pattinson is professing his allegiance to the Manchu King Dynasty. I think that he's finally decided <laughs> that it is time for him to, sh- to get rid of, as the as, you know, the ta- it's, it's referred to in translation as the tonsure decree. Because this, this episode is clearly all about that tonsure, right? Like, it's all about the, the pates of the friars and the, and the various forced traditional haircuts. Uh, but the, the, when, the, when the Qing Dynasty came in and they conquered China, like the Manchu, the Manchu, right? They imposed the hairstyle of the Q on uh, the Han Chinese, right? Which is like the braid in the back and everything. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, everything is, is gathered down into the, into the braid and the ponytail. And you're not allowed to wear your, like, uh, your regular hairstyle. Uh, and, and you're not allowed to cut it, right? You're not, allowed, you're not supposed to cut off your cue is part of it as well. And I think Native Americans also had cues like this as well. But clearly, I thought that clearly this is like, first I thought it was the suggestion of a rat tail, right? It's like the idea of, because it's not a mullet, right? I know, I agree that it's related. It's the, it's the, the idea uh, of a rat tail at Key West. <laughs> yes, the idea of a rat tail at Key West. Uh, exactly. I, I don't even. I can't even recite that poem anymore because I only remember the version I wrote about Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> said the horizon of the event. But yeah, so like it, it looks. It looks notionally related to a rat tail. Um, but uh, but obviously it's also notionally related to a shelf cut or a bowl cut, right? A la Backstreet Boys, like Nick Carter, you know, circa early '90s, whatever. Jonathan Taylor Thomas or whatever. Maybe the other kid from Home Improvement, right? Um, but yeah, but this thing sticking out the back. I really think it's got to be some sort of like uh, maybe it's like a Samson thing, right? Like if you if he grows know that. I'm all about that tonsure. <laughs> <laughs> My I was a vampire in the movies, but monastic life agrees with me. <laughs> Praised at fide supplementum. So, do you guys do you guys ever type a, uh, like a word that you've been looking up for unrelated reasons uh, into the news section of Google and see what comes back? <laughs> so, like, what's the news? What's the news? Uh, um, 
uh, related to tonsure uh, out there today. So the, the first story appears to be in Farsi. or Oh, no, it's in Tamil. It's in Tamil, and I can't read it because it's not even in the Latin alphabet. Uh, the second one is about... Um, what is it? Chatika sterilization deaths. Oh my goodness. This is really dark. Tantra is dark. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's heart rending stories about, uh, people in Chatiskar, um, 39 dead children, 14 dead women. And there's, there's barber, there's a barber involved. Yeah. Um, which is so sad. They had to tonsure three of the children. Oh, but then there's this story from the Philadelphia Tribune about Bill Cosby on veterans day. Um, and it says our veterans have fought. There's a guy speaking. His name is, uh, his name is Hughes. His name is, uh, State Senator Vincent Hughes, uh, who invited the visit of Bill Cosby to his Veterans Day event in Philadelphia. And he said, our veterans have fought proudly and sacrificed great tonsure, the safety of our nation. Sacrificed greatly. It's, it's clearly, they've sacrificed greatly tonsure, the safety of our nation. Um, it's clearly supposed to be to ensure the safety of our nation. It is not, in fact, to ritually shave the heads of everybody in our country, although there is tonsure associated with military service, right? Like the ritualistic head shaving that takes place to new recruits into the military. But no, the somebody needs to write the Philadelphia Tribune and inform them that this story, the only from a couple weeks, like only from last week, is... Uh, inform them that Siri should not be uh, copy-editing their paper. Anymore. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. When I was a kid, we used to shave our heads in a tonsure and play yeah. buck buck. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a story about St. Francis the Musical from the Huffington Post blog. So he's oh, another guy. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Hey, you know I'm all about the animals, about the animals. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, you guys didn't know me back then. You knew me when I had uh, a full... Uh, luxurious mane of blonde hair yeah. that stretched down to my shoulders and below. Um, mm-hmm. You knew me when I had very long hair and a yeah. flat hairline uh, low on my forehead. Uh, it cascaded from your head like a Galleria fountain. It was it was gorgeous and food courty. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you you didn't know that this is not this was not my first flirtation uh, with the long hair uh, the long haired arts. The long-haired masculinity. When I was young, uh, when I had a bowl cut before I got the step cut, I had a rat tail that was uh, wow. Yeah, I had a rat tail that was like uh, really long, like uh, hung down past my shoulders when I was uh, when I was a little kid. So that was uh, you know that was exciting, and and it was blonde. I was a little toe-headed child when I was when I was very young. So I had this like freakish looking, you know, bleached looking rat tail uh, that hung down to the top third of my back. Wow. So what was the deal with what is I, I was wondering, how did you think oh, wow. about from, your rat from tail? Bill, from Bill Cosby to Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal? What's with- the deal? Well, I want to ask, like, because I, I mean, I had a hockey cut back when I was a kid. Right? I had like a little mullet kind of thing when I was really young. And I, I felt like it was awesome. Like I felt and I think I felt like I've talked about it on the podcast before where I felt like I didn't understand why someone would get a haircut that cut off the cool bottom part of your hair. Right. That that was like the part of your hair that was cool. And it felt just like I didn't understand uh, like that. That was like a necessary Why, Robert thing. Pattinson? Why? 
Exactly. So, so I think of the rat tail as something unfortunate that happens to people or like related to other unfortunate things that happen to people, such as like systemic poverty or other sorts of things, right? Like I, I associate the rat tail with like difficulty of getting a haircut, right? Or something. I'm not sure. Like there aren't barbers where you live or something. So you had an actual unironic rat tail, right? Because yes, you were a child. No, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, so what rather- did you- did you call it a rat tail? Did your family call it a rat no, tail? No, it was uh, we. The term of art at the time, uh, at least where I grew up, was ducktail. Ducktail. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's that's related to the sort of greaser, the sort of greaser haircut where it called a, a ducks a ducks um, ass. Because I don't want to get chili peppers on the podcast, but uh, the, the ducks the ducks butt haircut was like something in the fifties. I think right, and so uh, yeah. So, but it, that's that's a DA, right? Is a DA, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you had a DT, right? And it's <laughs> uh, and I think that the ducktail I think is distinct from from a DA, um, in that it you let a small thin piece kind of travel down travel down your spine. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that they're that they're related haircuts. I'm just saying that they that the introduction of ducks into the nomenclature of human haircuts is something that has precedent. Right, like that people using the duck as opposed to the rat as like the Chinese zodiac sign. Now that we're underneath our King Dynasty overlords, uh, thanks to Robert Pattinson's profession of loyalty to the Manchus, uh, we, we can say that like in the, the, the zodiac animal, although the duck I don't think is on the zodiac, I'm not sure, but the zodiac animal of the duck is present in the naming of haircuts and has been for a long time. It's not just like your family didn't want to call it a rat tail and called it a duck tail uh, because it was like uh, not as aggressive or nasty an animal it was something that was like a term that people used yeah, it, uh, yes it absolutely it absolutely was i mean at least you know you may think that i protest too much but uh but uh yeah that's that's what it was that's what yeah. we, we called it now wikipedia says that the da uh the 50s da was also referred to as a ducktail i see yeah so there might be some oh there's a similar hairstyle called the argentine ducktail Ah, these are all things that Robert Pattinson could have done other than what he did, which is <laughs> which is make us think about gross things that we don't want to talk about on the podcast. Whoa, whoa, Pete! So, uh, let, let me let me peel the curtain back a little bit here on the overthinking of podcasts. Would we'll just say that? Do they when, match when, the dreams? Was that? Do they match the carpet? <laughs> oh, oh, I I didn't no. say you said that match. Okay. So you might not know this, but while we are doing the overthinking of podcasts, in addition to exchanging witty banter with ourselves, we are searching the internet for all manner of things, either to uh, support our arguments or just to waste time or to just amuse ourselves. And Matt, who is in the meat space here with me, has decided to search, do Google image search for rat tail. Uh-huh. And you see all sorts of horrific things in here beyond just sort of, you know, what you typically associate with the um, the, the slender strand of hair coming from a young prepubescent boy's head, which is problematic enough, uh, but it expands to all manner of things, including a, a full-grown man with the outline of a rat shaved on the back of his head <laughs> oh, that's with, the strand, yeah, with the strand of hair coming down, making it a literal, okay, not quite literal, but you get the idea, a, yeah. a, 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 a very, um, a, a rat tail with a lot of verisimilitude, let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> that's rat true. Tails. Yeah, that's. That- I almost want to withdraw myself from this conversation. I almost want to just take all of my content and leave because this platform. Hey, that's a segue. Let's talk about Taylor Swift leaving Spotify, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, like Pete, 
wants to uh, take all of his content, all of his formidable um, contributions to the Overthinking It podcast over the past several years and leave the platform. Taylor Swift took all of her formidable contributions to pop music and left, uh, left Spotify. Because the streamer's gonna stream, 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 stream. And the downloader's gonna download, 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 download. <laughs> I'm just gonna withdraw, 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 withdraw it all, withdraw it all. I feel wow. like, Mark, we have the perfect opportunity now to return, uh, to return Taylor Swift. There it is. To the country... The, the country music uh, canon. Because the player's gonna play, 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 play. And the hater's gonna hate, 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 hate. I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. Yeah, that was that was good. We should record that as a single and sell it for ninety nine cents. I, I, I was imagining you with a pair of overalls with the knee torn off and like a big broad hat with a big gray beard and a thistle sticking out of your mouth or a pipe, sort of like the I think the um one of the one of the dolls that Happy Harry tries to threaten in the uh, in the Aqua Teen Hunger Force episode about. I, I was I mean I was just imagining myself as one of the country bears in the country bear jamboree. <laughs> Oh, nice one. <laughs> well, we already talked about that whole taxonomy. That, yeah, exactly. Um, and what was the name of that guitar move that you taught us about a couple episodes, a bunch of episodes ago when you were talking about making things country? Oh, country. Oh, well, it's not a guitar move. It's a, it's a piano lick. It's called the Floyd lick. And it, oh. goes, it goes like this. Like that, right? The, yeah. The two, three? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. It's a sus two. It's technically a sustained uh, sus two, and then it resolves to the resolves to the three on piano. It's very easy to do because you just kind of roll on with your fingers, and it's uh, it's called the Floyd lick after um, after the well, piano player. Here's another way to do it, like that. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty country, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Floyd, I didn't. Floyd, I, I didn't want to get obsessed with the same topic again, but I just wanted to be reminded. Well, Floyd, I, I think that was on. Was that on the TFT podcast or was that on this one? No, no, it was on this one. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I get confused with all the podcasts that we have. Um, the uh, yeah, after Floyd Kramer, the the piano player who was known for using it. Um, yeah, so uh, so I don't know. This this is interesting. I mean, as a person who as a person who really loves um, streaming media and is very happy to pay. Uh, for streaming media because it gives me a way to you know enjoy both the um all the benefits of digital distribution and all this sort of moral victory of feeling like I've paid a fair price for the things that I uh you know for the things that I consume and that I'm supporting the creators um I'm a little uh, I'm not flummoxed I'm a little um uh, taken, uh, not taken aback. I'm, I, I feel a little guilty, I guess is what I mean to say, uh, by Taylor Swift taking all of her content off of Spotify, right? Probably because she can, right? Because she can still get hundreds of millions of dollars in, in album sales without, uh, without making herself available, without making her catalog available in that format. But, um, but more because like it raises for me the specter of the idea that's been floated on the internet by a lot of independent musicians who uh, who see their like fractional uh, fractional pennies um, come in from Spotify and like from you know very popular songs only adding up to like coffee money um, the uh, you know uh, th- that that maybe they're not getting paid enough and maybe I should be a little less uh, comfortable in my in my streaming paradise 
Yeah, so just to paraphrase what Matt was saying, when we talk about Taylor Swift pulling her music off of Spotify, we're talking about two different things. One is the hegemonic power of Taylor Swift that she wields like a bludgeon across the internet and across the cultural <laughs> landscape. And the other thing we talk really? about... Really? Taylor Swift has a bludgeon that she wields across the cultural landscape? Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, right, all right. And the other thing we talk about, as Matt was saying, is the fragile and rapidly changing economics of the uh, music, popular music economy, right? And it, it, it very much says that we do not know uh we're not entirely sure where this massive transformation uh from you know physical media to digital has fully taken us and where this is going to go we have a sense of where it's going to take us but taylor swift has um sort of interrupted that uh, linear um linear narrative towards the, the march towards all you can need uh, uh, on-demand streaming thing and so both of those things are, i think are very interesting things to talk about um i don't know pete if you have uh, an idea of which one of those to tackle first you seem to react quite strongly to this idea of taylor swift as the hegemon uh, you know, bl- yield wielding her bludgeon across pop cultural landscape uh, i mean i i guess i um I mean, it's it's hard to say that people operate in fear of Taylor Swift and her retribution, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I mean it, she's clearly trying to put pressure on Spotify. But and, and it's possible that Spotify will bend to the pressure by paying out a little bit more. I think that I've, I've been read, read a little bit about this issue around, and I don't, I'm not a huge expert on it, but it seems like. The people are reporting being paid even less than Spotify is saying that they're paying people in certain cases, and uh, and in particular, it looks like and, they, and I read one place where they what they gave assurances that over the course of the next year things would be made up, which to me says like one of two things: one, they're going to give Taylor Swift more money just retroactively, and they're going to like account for it as like you know what should have happened in the first place, in the hopes that'll bring her back. And the other is that like they might be using some. Uh, some creative amortization or some sort of uh, – or they might, be, they might be relying on like a payment process to slow down their issuing of checks to people or to like delay things and that there might not be a check, right? They, they might be counting on a lot of these people not really having like robust accountants departments or, you know, that are looking into these issues and not really having any sort of way of voicing a concern to Spotify. So it might be possible that Spotify is, is underpaying. It's also – I mean the, the, the thing here – here's the interesting thing for me about um, – about Taylor Swift's statement to Time Magazine about pulling her music from Spotify. She doesn't suggest that people should buy her album in stores. She suggests that they should buy it online elsewhere. Uh, Particularly, she stresses uh, iTunes, Beats Music, and Rhapsody, all as three different options that she's on board with in terms of buying her music online. To be clear, when you say buy music online, you mean like, you know, purchase the downloads on iTunes or like pay for the streaming on uh, on Beats of Rhapsody, right? You can't you don't actually buy and purchase the music outright on those other two services. Well, no, no, no. I mean, you know, and, and as of course, the idea of what buying is is something that changes from time to time in culture to culture. But you, yeah, yeah, I just mean exchanging currency for Shake Shake, right? Like is, that's all I mean. Is it like giving Taylor Swift money in exchange for listening to the, her music? Um, yeah, so in iTunes, you know, you, you pay iTunes and you, you know, you get whatever limited rights you have on iTunes to the stuff that you download uh, or stream, right? And you can buy Taylor Swift. Well, I say buy because it's like a la carte, right? You can get, you can exchange money 
for rights specifically to Taylor Swift's tracks or her album, 1989, right? Which is, as we all know, a spiritual sequel to Van Halen's 1984, <laughs> uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, but uh, especially the, the the Hot for Teacher drum solo, which is being re- it was remade shot for shot. But no, uh, but on Beats, so it's three, it's two different models, right? There's the iTunes model, which iTunes still wants to charge you for individual tracks and individual albums a la carte, right? right? As opposed to a subscription service. But then Beats and Rhapsody are subscription services. But in order to get Taylor Swift's music on those subscription services, you have to pay extra, right? There's like a premium model for people who want to get access to the premium music. Taylor Swift considers her music to be premium music, and she wants to get paid extra for it. And uh, and Beats and Rhapsody let her do that, and Spotify doesn't. No, let, let, let me clarify a little bit here. So Spotify lets – in the past, Spotify lets you – Stream Taylor Swift Taylor Swift music without paying anything at all, but just by like agreeing to listen to ads like poked into your playlist every once in a while. Right? Beats and Rhapsody do not have that sort of model. They have only one model, which is that you pay and you get to listen to the music, and that is what Taylor Swift. That's I, I believe is at the heart of the sort of the business dispute going on here, which is that Taylor Swift doesn't like that Spotify has this option where you. Uh, don't have to uh, pay to subscribe to the service. You can just listen in an ad-supported way because the reimbursement rates for those streams is a fraction of what it is for the paid thing. So, so, uh, so I, don't think that's I don't think you got it quite right. I don't think you got it quite right. Um, I don't think you got it quite right. Spotify does have a premium service that you can pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and what Taylor Swift wanted to do was say that you can't listen to Taylor Swift music just through the free ad-supported streams on Spotify that she wanted so the only listen to it on Spotify through the paid premium model. Well, what she's suggesting is that Spotify, Spotify has, she's not saying Spotify, you need to offer my album to premium members only. She's saying Spotify doesn't use a model that has any sort of designation of who gets what content at all. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So I, I just want to clarify, like she's, you know, and also it's, I don't, I think beats does beats and Rhapsody. She seems to be implying they have tiered memberships, right? Where it's not just you pay and you listen. It's like you pay or you can pay more. Right, you get like a, you get the base package or you get the premium package, right? Um, but yeah, but that that's that's what. And she's not saying she also she's saying like that she thinks that you there should be an exchange of money for her music, right? Like, and that that the delivery system shouldn't be content agnostic. I guess and the purchasing shouldn't be content agnostic. It shouldn't be like you you pay for whatever it is, right? Like, and and you get whatever music there is, right? That there should be choices, I suppose, because she can compete. Right, and she can compete for those choices. Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. Right? I'm sorry. You can you go ahead. Well, I mean, so Pete, you you seem you sound like you are more sympathetic to Taylor Swift's argument. Yeah, I actually had a I have a friend who has a country band, um, and they, they she, her Spotify album. Are they, are they a pop band now? <laughs> no, no, no. They're actually going the other way. Uh, it's, it's actually it's, uh, it's Nora Jane Struthers in the party line. If you want to check them out on Spotify um, or anywhere else, but she she posted to Facebook. She she makes she tries to make her money off of Kickstarter and off of uh, Patreon because she got like a hundred thousand uh, plays of her album, one hundred twenty thousand plays of her album on Spotify, and made like a hundred dollars. Right, and so it's like that's absurd, right? Like um, now, of course, maybe somebody listened to the album a hundred thousand times, which you know they could have done that and only paid like twenty dollars. But uh, but yeah, it's just like you know, clearly 
that you know I, whatever Taylor Swift says about the structure of the way that music is paid in exchange for value, it is pretty clear that they could just pay more, right? Like if Spotify could pay people more, then then she would be amenable to it. Like this is something that money could be exchanged for. But no, I'm very sympathetic to Taylor Swift. I I I deleted my Napster account freshman year of college. I don't agree with piracy. I don't agree with people. I have a Spotify account that I pay premium for, right? Because and and I and I appreciate it. But if people wanted to leave Spotify, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I'm pretty aware that Netflix has a lousy selection of movies, you know, and the reason why it has a lousy selection of movies, it doesn't pay people, right? right? Like, I mean, and I'm also aware, like, really acutely aware as somebody who practices independently in a variety of arts, that, like, if you don't pay people, there's a certain amount of quality you're just never going to get. Yeah. And, like, yeah, you know, like, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Go ahead. Let, let, let me let me take the conversation in a slightly different direction because I think one of the other things that we are talking about when we talk about Taylor Swift pulling her music from Spotify is the expectation that has been created by Spotify, uh, mostly intentionally, I think, that subscribing to this will give you access essentially to the entire catalog of music that you want to listen to. For music that matters, with a very small number of exceptions, mostly from um, uh, uh, old school rockers like yeah. ACDC and Led Zeppelin, but, uh, Seeker, those yeah. the, uh, and, and the Beatles, right? Yeah. Those folks aside, like the music that you want to listen to, you just pay this and you will get it all. And that is a magical, it is a wonderful promise that they give. Yeah. But I think Pete, what you're saying is that that might be essentially a bridge too far, something that uh, that that they might not be able to deliver on for all these sorts of reasons that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's really. I think the fact that it's other streaming services that Taylor Swift is putting out there as the alternatives, and not like buying physical media. Yeah, I don't think you can argue that. Like, yeah, I don't think you can necessarily argue that. Like, it's anti-innovation for Taylor Swift to say that you should listen to her music on Rhapsody instead of Spotify, right? Like, a, a convenient argument in favor of piracy is often like, well, you know, they're just defending the old way of doing the business model, and the new way is necessarily must replace it. There's like a variety of new ways, right? Like, there's a variety of new ways that music is being distributed now. And it doesn't have to necessarily happen in this one way. Yeah, Spotify, I mean, I remember when it started and it only had a small number of of folks on it, and somehow Spotify scored this huge coup of getting all this content on their service, right, which Netflix has never succeeded in doing and has been backtracking and getting worse and worse gradually as time goes on, right, like um, profoundly, right? uh, I mean, but there's, in the the film industry, there's this sense that, like, every outlet can do uh, a $10 a month streaming service, right? Like, you know, com- it's, it's compel- a compelling proposition. Disney for- can do a streaming. Sony yep. can do a streaming. Right, like uh, along the lines of like HBO Go or something like the, you know, FX app, uh, which has all the Simpsons episodes streaming on it. Though I think you get that if you subscribe to cable. So some of it, I mean, you know, some of it, there is still this sort of aggregation, right? And so we're left, we're left with the prospect of a world where you know you're not just paying seven ninety nine for Hulu or seven ninety nine for Netflix, you're paying seven ninety. You're paying on the order of ten bucks for Hulu, for Netflix, for HBO, for Showtime, mm-hmm. for Cinemax, for you know which which by the way, when did they become a premium content provider for FX? For you know, and by by the time you pay for all of those different outlets, it's you're almost like, paying as much as you pay for cable. Right? Could it's I? Crazy. I mean, that Sorry. that was that's the specter of the. You know that's the specter of of the world that that we're sort of looking at. The difference with the the difference with the record labels is that they lost that they lost that battle before battle was even joined, right? Like it was it was lost that battle was lost to Napster before they even understood that there was that they were in 
that they were in a battle. And so there, there's this like promiscuity. There's this model of like uh, almost a, a more like brick and mortar retail model where, you know, uh, it's in the Apple store and it's in the Google Play store and it's in the Amazon store and it's on all the streaming services and it's in, you know what I mean? It's in Beats and it's in Rhapsody and it's in Ardio and it's in Spotify and it's, you know, in all the, uh, it's in all the places um, that, you know, and, and it, there's this sort of desperation of like, please, please, please prop up our, uh, prop up our foundering business model, right? The, the, um, you know, at least, at least for like feature motion picture, it's never quite gotten that bad. Um, because until a lot, because we didn't have the capacity to pirate full movies, like the average person didn't have the capacity to pirate full movies until a lot more recently, uh, with, you know, the increasing, uh, penetration of broadband in the home. But now we're talking about the meat space once again. Right, right, right. Uh, and the, yeah, the, 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 so, but do you think, but I think part of what is interesting about this story is that like the new dynamics for the music industry do seem to be coming into focus a little bit when for a while it just seemed like everything was just grasping at straws and there was just no hope and it was just a free fall, right, forever. Uh, and there was never going yeah. to be like a, a stable way. There was not going to be a customer habit of paying for music. That was what was going to go away. Was the expect, was like, oh, I hear this song, I really like the song, I'm going to buy it. And it was just like, other than, than Apple people, uh, it was over. Right, other than people who are using Apple products, um, which you know are a large number of people, but not that large. Uh, you know, it was pretty much it was pretty much done. Uh, you use, uh, even people using Apple products would be getting MP3s from other sources. But like, you know, maybe what you're seeing is kind of like some new some new enclosure acts happening. Maybe you're going to start seeing these different streaming services, uh, you know, getting involved in sort of power struggles and content struggles with each other. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. It's possible. It seems like if they can make if part of it is that a lot of these these uh, solutions from the music industry have been very technologically and user interface like bad right they have just but not been effective you don't just put it on your phone and listen to it spotify yeah you put it on your phone you listen to it, it works great right like it's clean it's it's quick you know it's not bloated it's not stupid right like it you know it works fine um and you can get rid of the commercials pretty easily right so it's like um you need that's the bar right that's that you know what you have to achieve to get people to want to use it um, and now it's a question of like, okay, well, what other tactics can we use, and what are the differences that can persist, right? Like, I don't know. It's just it's interesting, and I'm I'm curious to see how it shakes out in the future, particularly with uh, Apple's purchase of Beats, right, and, and Apple owning Beats Music as a as a kind of alternate play for iTunes, right, because they didn't think that iTunes was doing so well in those kinds of streaming services. Sure, I mean, I, Apple had a couple products. One was called iTunes Match, which, you know, yeah. um, allowed for cloud streaming of your of music that you own on other devices. And the other is, I think, called iTunes Radio, which is a Pandora-like, a no-commercials Pandora-like service. Uh, with ever, Maybe with ever so slightly more curation. Uh, I mean, maybe they have, like, curated channels, but it's it's you can sort of start iTunes Radio. Um uh, you know, as well, and like, you know, I I don't know. Apple probably has more data than anyone uh, about how we listen to our music, right? And and so much so much of their interface is geared towards shuffle. Um, mm. That I I sort of wonder if I wonder if the uh, if the advent of iTunes Radio was sort of based on their business intelligence that the way that we listen to music is actually on shuffle. I don't know if that's because that's the option they tend to privilege in their interfaces and things like this. But like I almost never listen to music on uh, on shuffle, right? Like really. I, 
oh yeah, I listen to a particular song or a particular album in order. And I mean, that's why Ryan Sheely and I have a, uh, you know, an album oriented podcast on the Overthinking It Network called the TFT Podcast, which, you know, as we all know, uh, stands for Theory for Turntables. <laughs> We rebooted recently with that nice, title, nice. Uh, the Theory for Turntables podcast, you know. But yeah, no, it's never like, I mean, because my, my library is too varied, right? Like it would be, you know, it would be all about that bass and then the third movement of Christoph Pendreski's Credo and then <laughs> like some weird Bob Dylan thing and then a, a Tori Amos bootleg and then like I don't know some Depeche Mode that I was into when I was 13 and then you know um, and on and on and on I mean there would be no like there would be no sort of unity there would be it's it's really a mess it's it's a terrifying place my meat space <laughs> Uh, whereas I have like playlists for particular sorts of purposes, I have you know a running playlist, a lifting playlist, I have a brunch playlist, um, and yeah, and I can shuffle it. <laughs> I mean, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> yeah, you have a brunch playlist. I do. It's actually called Over Breakfast. Uh, it is a playlist that I play when I am uh, making or eating brunch or breakfast with my girlfriend. I see. Um, okay, yeah. so I thought that like I thought that you and she would go out to a brunch restaurant, wait in line for however you know forty five <laughs> minutes. We talked about the d- dynamics of this in the brunch cast, which actually was recorded in the very apartment in which now I sit. Um, the uh, the dynamics of brunch, but I it seemed to me that the brunch playlist was you would you would do this sit down at the table order your food both put in headphones and <laughs> click play on the brunch playlist no that's uh, absurd matt now, i would have a giant boombox shaped cell phone mount that i would put on the table <laughs> i'd plug the phone in right and i would have put bluetooth speakers uh, underneath the table uh for the subwoofers and then we would just rock out and we'd put a cardboard box down and pop and lock and break dance around the uh, eggs benedict I, I uh, listen all i gotta say is that the brunch is gonna brunch 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 <laughs> and the lunch is gonna Lunch, 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 lunch. And I'm just gonna... What? I just lunch, want some lunch. eggs, 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 <laughs> eggs, eggs, eggs. <laughs> Poacher boiled. Poacher boiled. <laughs> not munch. Not munch. You don't want to go with munch. You just want to go with eggs as rhyming with lunch and brunch. Um, never mind. I, I, I should, I'm not there. I'm not in the moment. I'm sure wow. your music is being spoken yeah, to that you. that was great, Pete. That was, yeah. <laughs> wow. What, one hell of a no but there from Pete Penzel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, over I'm so negative. I'm so negative. I know. Well, okay. So let's let's take it out one more level, right? So I think we've seen the adaptation of the music celebrity, uh, even more than we've seen the adaptation of the music business. Is you know recording artists. I think one thing that's one thing that sticks with me when I think about events like Taylor Swift pulling out of Spotify is something that Jordan once told me about uh, Pavarotti and Celine Dion, right? Like, <laughs> and we were, I was asking Jordan if Pavarotti was the greatest uh, opera tenor of all time, and he said it really depends on what era you're talking about because the, the values in music change, right, depending upon what the era and, and the way that music is, is dealt with. And so the era that Pavarotti and Celine Dion lived in was the era of, of high-fidelity CD recordings. And, reprodu- and so all you had to do, not all you had to do, but what you had to do to be really successful is you had to have one time when you were the best, 
right? And that had to be captured and put on and printed on a CD so that people could listen to it in really high quality, like all the time, you know, all the time. They could listen to this one time that you were truly, truly awesome. Uh, and it's hard to compare that to like a different era where the best tenor might be somebody who gave, you know, shows every night for years or decades, right? Like if the idea is you have to go to the theater to listen to the opera, then the best tenor is not going to be somebody like Pavarotti, who on his on days is the best there is, but who has like more sick days and who has like kind of work ethic issues debatably. I mean, he's, he's passed on now. I don't want to speak ill of him, but he wasn't known as a particularly consistent performer. He was known for being fairly erratic uh, among opera tenors and not like, you know, like um, Placido Domingo, right, would be somebody who was more seen as consistent uh, over the years, right, but didn't have the pipes that Pavarotti had, the gift, right? And so all these, the singers from the height of the CD era who did really, really well are often people with great virtuosity, right, huge virtuosity, whereas nowadays with the idea that you're not going to go out to the store and spend $20 on an album, it, it's, there's less money in making the best recording ever, Right, and nowadays the model of compensation for music has to do with being remembered and and becoming this cultural um, this cultural icon that then can pass back and forth through all sorts of different avenues of culture. Somebody who can get on the newspaper headlines, somebody who can like sell you perfume, somebody who can like appear as a guest on a game show, right? Like somebody who can like do a commercial, and like somebody who can who can do it for like all bunch of different people, right? Like somebody who can who can you know have their own media empire, right? Yeah, someone who can reinvent him or herself over and over and over again who can provide that novelty I mean it goes back to what I was joking about earlier but I was kind of being serious like novelty is extremely important right which is why we've seen I think part of why we've seen a shift of music toward this sort of like moments of dissociative strangeness that I think are meant to be mnemonic in nature like lots of weird voices and strange sounds that I think are thrown into songs I mean when I my own personal theory of it is a lot of them are thrown into songs to make them stand out turned out for what Yes, well, there you go. Little John is eternal. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, tur- Turn Down for What is a great example of how the Harlem Shake people uh, failed to dominate their niche, right? They didn't come out with a follow-up uh, that captured the imagination quite like the Harlem Shake did and Turn Down for What ate their lunch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know what? It was deli- As someone who, who has danced vehemently to Turn Down for What, that lunch was delicious. <laughs> Wait, so, I don't know. Okay, so how does Celine Dion fit into this? Because you mentioned Pavarotti and Celine Dion, and you, you oh, have yes. to close that loop there. Oh well, because there were nights when the wind is so cold. No, it's that um, it's because she has amazing pipes, right? She's a, she's a yep. great range. She's mm-hmm. a virtuosic vocalist who has huge natural gifts. So she and fits also, that Pavarotti model that you were talking about before, right? Like Celine Dion, yeah, but she's can, also cranking out the she's cranking out the shows in. Uh, in Vegas, you know? Oh, well, yeah, but the circumstances of Celine Dion's shows in Vegas are themselves, like, a whole other... Like, the fact that she lives, she has a helicopter that takes her to work. I hear that she never talks except at work, right, to save her voice, right? Like, she just... Her entire life is dedicated around doing these legendary shows, and it's probably all mythology at this point, right? But it's like, you know, you can still see that her work is dedicated around giving that perfect performance, right? You know, like, this the perfect soaring, melodramatic, romantic moment through this like clarion voice that's up there in the stratosphere right powerful and also delicate right way up there um you know mariah carey is similar to that was similar to that she was of the same era where she had like you know four or five octaves going on right and she could get up there in the whistle range and she can't really do that anymore right like mimi ain't what she used to be in terms of her virtuosity um and i think both mariah carey and celine dion have somewhat struggled to maintain uh the kind of i mean 
mean, a lot of musicians struggle because it's a fashion business, right? It changes. But it's like you can see how even though Celine Dion can find her niche where she has her personal helicopter to take her to her sold-out Vegas show every night or whatever, right? Like she's not going to be doing what Taylor Swift does. She's not going to be like in Time Magazine commenting about her pulling her music out of Spotify in a way that has a bludgeon that maybe, – maybe that's what Taylor Swift's bludgeon is, is like just the power of her personality and her self-management and to like cut across platforms, Right. And like just the fact that people will follow, will follow her and click on her. Right. And that's something that's worth, worth something. Um, and you'll listen to Celine Dion, but you won't click on her. And if you click me like this, <laughs> and if you stream me like that, who's gone with the wind, but it's all coming back to me now. I, I could have I could have kept going with that, but I know that um, we, we probably need to wrap this up. We don't have the necessary like seven and a half minutes left in the podcast to, to do that song justice. <laughs> All right, if you want to uh, weigh in on business models and music, on what the hell is going on on the back of Robert Pattinson's head, um, what I mean, one one of the great tweets I've seen about it says misplaced bikini wax on the back of Robert Pattinson's head. Uh, if you would like to uh, talk about your personal meat space. Well, don't do that on overthinking <laughs> it. My God, my goodness, we're the only people who uh, um, have the privilege of doing that. Uh, if you'd like to talk about um, what you call the the thin strip of hair hanging down from the the back of a prepubescent boy's head. Um, if you'd like to post a uh, photo of yourself uh, tonsuring yourself, giving yourself a, a ritual head shaving, um, we would be uh, uh, we would be very glad to have you on the uh, on the sh- the comments for the show notes for this episode. We'd be very glad to have you uh, email podcast at overthinking.com or call two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Call or text the f- number that no one ever calls two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Hey Pete, I hear there's a very <laughs> special episode of the overthinking newsletter coming out this yes week. i promised everybody last week what the next episode of the overthinking newsletter would be about and i know at least one person cared and it's about naruto becoming the hokage which he finally did a couple weeks ago in the comic book if that means nothing to you you're still gonna like the write-up so i've got so we're, we're also experimenting a little bit with the newsletter in terms of what day are we releasing it what day is best for people so we're like gonna release on different days and we're gonna track uh when people like to read it before we really get into a rhythm with it so you watch your inboxes the naruto hokage newsletter is coming out and if you have no familiarity with naruto at all i hope i found a novel and interesting way to tell the story and a new challenge and also thanks to everybody who did the challenge from last week the 187 uh, challenge the 187 challenge from last week's newsletter uh i particularly liked the phrase uh the term pop hopper for somebody who leaves something when it gets too cool Right? And it's like, you know, oh, you know, I liked Green Day before it was cool. Oh, you're a pop hopper. You know, like you, you jump off of trends. Yep. I enjoy that. I also enjoyed the like bemoaning the offensiveness of Monster Island. Um, that's, another, that's another thing. But you got to read the newsletter to get yeah, all this stuff. To get all of this. So you can subscribe to the newsletter on the homepage of Overthinking It or on the show notes for this particular episode of the Overthinking It podcast. You do not know the day nor the hour <laughs> when the Overthinking It newsletter is going to be released. So you must subscribe now. I, I can tell you as someone who knows uh, – Less than zero, or I should say, who knew about zero about Naruto. Now I know like positive 0.5 because <laughs> I have read 
what Pete wrote for the newsletter um, that is going to be released at some point this week. Uh, you just got to subscribe. Listen, we had people, uh, we had people um, complaining to us all the time about not enough writing on Overthinking It, not enough text articles. Oh, you guys are just a media site now with all your YouTube videos and all of your podcasts, to which I say, well, yeah, that's not a bad thing. But also, if you want the writing... Here it is. This is your opportunity. This is where the writing is. It is uh, in the Overthinking newsletter. You can find that, uh, a sign-up form for that, on the uh, homepage of the site. Also, don't forget that, you know, next week, um, next week is Black Friday already. You know, that's, it's, it's coming up sooner than you think. And uh, with Black Friday comes the Overthinking at Black Friday gift guide. So we'll be back with uh, more recommendations of insane ways to brew coffee. More, um, I usually come in with the, uh, with the absurdly expensive gift. I think one year was the box set of Kurosawa. Um, which I mean, still, if anyone got that, let me know because that sounds like an that sounds like it was just an awesome like sixty DVDs that you could buy for yourself um, or a loved one or several loved ones. Uh, yes, that's uh, that's coming soon, and uh, that's an important promotion for us. So we hope that you participate in it by buying your gifts through the affiliate links on Overthinking It. Uh, this podcast will be back next week with more Overthinking. Until uh, then, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably doesn't deserve. Drinker's gonna think, 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 and the drinker's gonna drink, 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 drink. And I'm just gonna blink, 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 blink. There blink. it is. There it is. That oh, rhymes. Thank you, Pete. I've learned how to rhyme. <laughs> Everyone, cut. no, but you're an asshole. <laughs> this seems like a terrible note to add on. It's so unfriendly. Right. I love you, Pete. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs>